We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And Lakers had a bad loss last night to the Houston Rockets, 114 to 110 in a game that Anthony Davis didn't play in, second night of a back-to-back. We'll get into all the you know energy level and effort and all of that stuff, Dee. But um, it was a game that was distorted by the Lakers' lack of bigs. Not only was AD out, but obviously Mo Bamba is out. LeBron, I think, is going to be our backup center come playoff time. We shall see. Um, and so that left Wenyan Gabriel as the only guy who's played the five really at all this year um, in that spot. But he didn't start. It was Rui that started. And uh, Shengun was questionable coming into the game. We talked about him a little bit on yesterday's pod. And Lakers came out with low energy. Shengun kicks their butts for a bit. Lakers go right into a zone with their first unit, which is very rare. Um, and they give it a shot, go down 19 to nine, I think just five minutes into the game, give up 19 points in the first five minutes. And the Houston Rockets really attacked the paint D in that game. And that was something that it really showed, I thought, not just the lack of rim protection that we had, but kind of the size discrepancy. A lot of times when we talk about not having a big, we focus on the five versus five matchup. And that's where we put why we put Shengun in the spotlight yesterday. But really big athletic guards and wings, uh, I thought that really shone through on guys like Kevin Porter Jr. And Jalen Green wasn't particularly good last night, but even Jay Sean Tate, Kenyon Martin Jr., all big, stronger type of athletes. And We've talked so much about the skill guards and having more skill on the team. A lot of times those guys aren't the best athletes, and I think that describes D'Lo and Beasley and Austin. And so it was a game that by halftime, they had 46 or 48 points in the paint. And to give you an idea of how many that is, the the league leader averages 58. That's Memphis. And so just it was a really distorted game, Darius, where... 
I don't think we realized the basketball problems that we had going into it. And we played that way. We tried to catch up. Jabari Smith hit three threes after we cut it to four to push it back to 13. I'm sorry, he hit two. Someone else hit the other one. But uh, give me your thoughts on a, a, a bad loss last night. Um, I understand why it went the way that it did, but still a tough one to take considering our, our standing circumstances. I thought we did a pretty good job in yesterday's pod of expressing why we were concerned about the game, particularly mm-hmm. with AD out. And um, our assumption was that Shingun was going to play, and he did. Um, I thought very early on, if you look at the stat lines, Shingun didn't, he wasn't their top guy. It was actually Kevin Porter Jr. Mm-hmm. who kicked the Lakers' butts. But Shingun very early on set the tone for the team, and he established the fact that, like, oh, they have nothing inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and Everyone else was just like, oh, oh, I, oh, I see yeah. what it's going to look like. And, and so it wasn't right? really a normal like, basket. I some of that. Yeah, give me some of that. Exactly. That, like, they, they saw that they could break away from their normal offense and game plan. And they were passing up jump shots because they knew we just work the ball around, try to attack, 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 that we're going to get to the rim and there's not going to be anyone there to do anything about it. Yeah, sooner or later, right? It was like a buffet at the basket, and these dudes were hungry. You know, they beat Boston mm-hmm. earlier this week. They played a similarly, like, hungry style against them. They have a bunch of rangy athletes, and while we did focus on Shen Goon a bunch, because I just thought that if they would have gone to him every single time, he could have had, like, a 30-point triple-double. Yeah, like, they could have kicked our so ass that way uh, on the inside if they chose to, and they did at the beginning of that game. That's the thing, too, that was funny about that game, D, is that after that first six-minute stretch, overall, I thought our defense was okay. Uh, we just hemorrhaged right there at the beginning. I thought it was interesting we couldn't score, though, too. Yeah, so Houston did something different. So one of the things that I thought was going to be important heading into the game offensively was to put Shangun in pick and rolls in order to compromise their defense in order to get the wheel going, mm-hmm. right? So the Lakers didn't have Anthony Davis. They weren't going to have that classic, oh, everyone has to pay attention to this guy. And now everyone else sees an extra sliver or two or five slivers of daylight based off the fact that Anthony Davis rolled into the paint on this play or he's in the post and has the ball and now everyone's sort of reacting to him. And I mentioned it um, either last pod or uh, the pod before that I thought D'Angelo Russell was really benefiting from playing with Anthony Davis while AD wasn't necessarily seeing the same benefits of playing with a skilled guard, right? Like his touches were down. He wasn't getting as many um, actions like as the hub Right where he's like where there's a bunch of stuff whirling around him right. and now he's the guy who has space in order to operate because all these shooters are flying around off of weak side pin downs and handoff actions where guys have to flow with them. But he's still drawing the attention that that benefits a guy like Delo. No, totally. And, and so without that, I thought they were going to have to spread the rockets out and Shangun was going to be the entry point for me. But the Rockets decided they were going to switch everything. They were going to switch every screen. And when you're switching every screen, that really does slow down like motion offenses because the advantage that you get that you're supposed to try to get and create via a screen in order to knock the initial defender off in order to give the guy you're screening for a little bit of space, that advantage goes away because when 
that guy gets screened, it's just like, okay, well, now I'm defending the guy who just screened me. Great. It's like magnets connecting, right? It's just like, oh, you touched me and now I'm connected to you now and we've got a new assignment. And so that left the Lakers guards playing in isolation a bunch against bigger athletes. And then everywhere else on the court, there were bigger athletes or just more athletic dudes than them at every other position. And so it left the Lakers scrambling to try to create shots against people who, if even if they're not great defenders, they're just sort of bigger and bouncier mm. and longer than they are. And I thought that it made sense then that the Lakers' most effective offense was getting fouled basically. Like Dennis went three for 10 from the field, but he shot like 12 free throws. Austin only got up like, I think like seven shot attempts or eight shot attempts, but he went to the free throw line for 13 foul shot attempts or 12 free throws, right? So it's just like the thing that the Lakers could do best was sort of like, I don't want to say grift, but but basically like leverage the fact like, oh, you're going to be a physical group against us. Yeah. Well, then I'm going to like swing my arms through and I'm going to to try to attack you off of the dribble. And the rest were calling like a pretty tight game, which I actually think like favored the Lakers yeah, it in its own way, because if they didn't have that, I'm not sure how they would have scored against some of these dudes, especially when. The types of jumpers that the Lakers were able to create against New Orleans and Darwin spoke to this after the game. And so I'd love to sort of get your thoughts about what Darwin was saying beyond the energy and effort stuff is that the Lakers weren't able to create good looks a lot because they were playing in the half court. Right. But also because the type of half court set defense that they were facing was the exact type that is going to get shut off by a switching defense and the dudes who you want attacking the switching defense are like LeBron and Anthony Davis. And sure. they're the dudes who are on the sidelines wearing very nice outfits, I might add. So anyway, yeah, no, please jump in here. No, that And if a guy like D'Lo or uh, Austin really are, are guards, Dennis is a little different to an extent. Um, if they are going to beat switches themselves, it's usually going to be on jump shots. And I thought yesterday's game, and especially next to the New Orleans game where they set a record in the, in the first half for threes, I thought, saw... We saw sort of the variance that you get from jump shooters. Even the good ones are going to have nights like that where both your starting backcourt, D'Lo and Beasley, right, don't shoot particularly well on your jumpers. And if you've got these bigger physical athletes sort of pushing up on you in this switching type of defense, which, like you said, is intended to not give up that initial advantage that you're going to get against a Balanchunas, for example, when they're in a drop type of coverage then that means you got to beat guys one-on-one. -on -one. And when you've got an athletic advantage in that scenario, the defense is going to kind of push up on players in ways that if they don't have a certain force going to the basket, then you can't counter that. Like that's, it's sort of counterintuitive. And when you teach, when you teach young players, a young player's first instinct when a guy gets pressured is to back up, right? Someone gets up in your face, you want to like alleviate the pressure on you by backing up. But really, the right way to attack it is the opposite of that, is if they, they attack you, you attack them. You have to try to move forward. And we don't really have that type of personnel, especially in the starters. Both D'Lo and Beasley are not like, you press up on me and so I'm going to drive by you. Like most of D'Lo's drives, for example, come off of that AD drawing the attention, right? And you've got a lane in the left slot. You were talking about this the other day type of thing. And so I thought not having a lob threat in particular or just that like – 
yeah, they're switching. And so now we've got somebody around the basket that's going to do a great deal of damage. Like we tried to give the ball to Vanderbilt in the second half and run a lot of handoffs with him. And where if he didn't like what he had, he'd attack the basket. And he had some success at that. But between that and Rui is more of a jump shooter than a presence around the rim offensively. I just thought that like we were missing a key component of force that made it like going into the game, like, yeah, we should still have enough to win this. And then like five minutes in, I was texting you guys like, oh, we're in trouble tonight. It was just very obvious we didn't have have the force. I think I texted you in the first part of the second quarter and said it feels like this game is over, yeah. which is crazy to say. It's like for and like the Lakers were trying to make me look dumb later in the game because they made that push. But in essence, the Lakers led once the entire game and it was at one to nothing. That's right. And it was a super frustrating game. But Mike, who wishes he could have been here this morning, because I think that he had some pretty good perspective mm-hmm. to share. He had shared some thoughts with us that we'll relay now. Mike's perspective was more with like the players that the Lakers had out. There's actually not this great like talent. Like the Lakers aren't like supremely the super more talented team. And like, oh, they're clearly better than Houston. And it was interesting to think of it that way. Right. Because the Lakers have been playing so well if anyone ever had a guess of like how important Anthony Davis is or how valuable Anthony Davis is. I thought last night's game was like, Hey, like this is example. Number one, put this right at the top of the list of like how good and how important he is in order to make everything else work because he's, the dude it's just like yes 15 threes against new orleans but it's just like you don't get those 15 threes of the team's first first 14 points right he was dominant it was him yes and then everything else works off of him and then defensively like he shuts off the water of so much of that like oh you're gonna attack the paint well it's anthony davis right there and and guys don't even try him when when he's in there and when they do they're like flailing these shots that are like getting like altered because he's reaching out with this long arm and it's just like okay well these aren't clean clean looks the types of shots that Houston was getting at the basket it was just like it was a layup line literally it, it was really a layup was. line you look at look at Kevin Porter Jr's um shot chart he went 2 for 5 from 3 right so he took like 17 shots Five of them were from beyond the arc. The other 12 were all inside the paint. Yep. Right? So there were like no mid-range attempts from this guy at all. And he was just like shouldering past Dennis Schroeder. And he was just bumping in and bodying Austin Reeves. When Of course he was. Like, like he's a much better athlete. Up. He's a bigger athlete. Like he's in a different weight class than those dudes. Well, also, too, he was just going to the offensive glass. Like one of the things that was really important, I thought, that isn't like, yes, Houston did well on second chance points. Uh, I think they had 20 second chance yeah, points. Yeah, 20 to 5 or something like that. They had 16 yeah. offensive rebounds, I think. Um, and so 16 offensive rebounds is a lot. 20 second chance points is is a lot. But the part that was interesting to me is that it wasn't always just big guys that were doing that work. Mm-hmm. Like you think of like Steven Adams or the big burly centers who like Hartenstein was like this against the Lakers in, well, well in the Knicks game, he was like sort of shifty around the basket and, and he was like taking advantage of AD having to help on drives against Barrett and Randall. 
But in this game, it was like the guards and it was the wings. Like mm-hmm. it was a, it was just go in there and crash because they're not going to be able to rebound well enough in order to punish us in transition. And they weren't. And it was just this idea of their, the Rockets were the bigger, more physical, more active team. And after the game, Darvin was upset yep. about it, clearly. And and he knew that he needed, his guys needed to come out earlier and set the tone for them. And they didn't. And he sounded disappointed and like upset of about course. it after the fact. Let's take a break. And when we come back, let's talk about that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Something occurred to me while I was re-watching the game last night especially from the beginning. Oh, you rewatched it? I did. I did. I try to rewatch it, rewatch all of them. I haven't been able to for everyone this year, but about 85, 90% of them I'll, I'll rewatch, even the stinky ones like this. And from just seeing the starting lineup graphic, I was like, four of these dudes weren't with us six weeks ago or however long ago that we traded for Rui, right? Like we've got three regular sure. starters in D'Lo, Beasley, and Vanderbilt. And then the fourth with Rui filling in last night. And I was thinking how much of this team, specifically those guys, they don't carry the emotional baggage of the last couple of years of the Lakers. Like last night was, there's something psychological about getting to 500 that that was a game. Poor Gator on the pregame show has had this, like, I think the last one was, (laughs) it's been 415 days since we were last 500, right? And he's been super excited. Oh, it's like that sign that's in The Simpsons, right? Where it's just like, <laughs> yes. we've had X number of days since our last accident. And then Homer falls into some pit or something. And then it's just like, oh, we're changing that back to zero. That's right. So that's, right. that's exactly what it, what it is. And Geeter's been like super hyped up about it. And like, is today the day? And then the Knicks game let him down, right? And then, oh, certainly the Rockets game will be. No, no. And so there's... A certain like we put ourselves in a hole, made a bunch of mistakes last year, put ourselves in a hole, put ourselves in a hole to start this season at two and ten. 
And we're like right there. And so losing games like to the Rockets and the beyond the we talked about the basketball and on court elements and just sort of the hey, we weren't as <laughs> we were at a deficit last night. We talked about that in the f- first part. But on top of that, if you are going to be small, you got to play hard. That's something I've talked about a lot. And I think this speaks to a certain degree of weakness that goes beyond just a game like this D is our starting backcourt in particular is not scrappy. Right. And I think that it works if you've got Vanderbilt and LeBron and AD or even just two of them, if one of them are out. But you have a sufficient amount of size. But there are something that is something to keep an eye on, I suppose, is that for me right there is that usually when you have two guards like that, I think that whole perimeter players crashing the boards and just trying to win physical battles against them is going to be on the scouting report going forward is to try to physically attack D'Lo and Beasley. And so I don't expect, again, every guy to play out of their mind for 82. And this particular group of guys, the new guys, doesn't have, I think, that same level of desperation uh, that the fan base has right now. I I certainly have as, as well. But I do think that that is something that teams are going to go after going forward. So I'm curious your perspective on that. Yeah, I think that that's probably right. I also think that we need to take a step back and realize that um, not every team actually has the capability to attack the Lakers that way. Very true. Like, so Houston is an interesting team in that that's exactly how they've been built. It's just like they've got a bunch of like guys who could you could easily see playing like safety. Uh-huh. Like in the NFL, it's just like, oh, yeah, like, look, you're a downhill athlete. You're about to get after it a little bit and just attack, attack, attack. And I'm thinking the Lakers are what? Now they're nine and five, I think, in mm-hmm. the 14 games or so after after making the trade. So not including the game that was on the day of the trade deadline. They played the Warriors a few times, right? Steph and Clay aren't going to be getting downhill after you. They like they beat the Grizzlies. It's like, okay, like Dylan Brooks, you're physical. You do this, this, that, and the other. You'll shove down a cameraman for no reason. (laughs) Like, what was Dylan Brooks doing there? And Tyus Jones, right? It's just like, like, look around the league, and there's not a bunch of like, oh, like, I'm going to be this big physical guard that's going to get after you. Like, I had said this last night to both you you and Mike, and I said, it's super interesting because like a backcourt of Russ and Bev probably matches up much better mm. with Houston than like the guards that the Lakers had mm-hmm. out there last night with like Dennis and 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 Austin and Beasley. A little more physicality, even though he's short, like he's going to, he's up for the fight. Yeah, Yeah. just guys who were just like, oh, like the meme that you'll see online, right? Where it's just like, it's like a x-ray and then there's like a picture of a pit bull like in the dude's chest. It's just like, oh, this guy got dog in me, right? (laughs) It's just like, no offense to D'Lo and Beasley, but they are skilled guards. Like they're going to beat you by the fact it's just like, okay, well, yep, here's another 25 footer right in your face. And there's, and it speaks to Willie Green's quote after the New Orleans game where it's just like, their shooting demoralized us. Like we let their shooting demoralize us. And that's what skill can do. It's one of the reasons why Steph is like this interesting player throughout the history of the league. It's just like, you'd never really seen a player who based off the fact that it's just like, he's beating you with 30 footers and they, and you feel helpless about it. Like it's, it's one of the reasons why Shaq is you, you couldn't find a more different stylistic player from Curry than Shaq, 
right? But there's this inevitableness that you feel like when Curry's got it going, that it's just like, it's almost like how Shaq was when he was inside. It's just like, nope, you got nothing for this yeah, dude. He's just dunking. If you're guarding him, you're like, what do you want me to do about that shot, right? Like you closed out as hard as you can to a 35 footer or you put three dudes on Shaq, you know, to, and he's just shedding them and, and dunking on you. Like there, that inevitability has a demoralizing effect too. Totally. And, and so, and getting back to your point about like the Lakers sort of have this identity within the group of their core guards, right? And and will teams go after them with that? Sure. I think it's harder to do that when you're backed yes. up by Anthony Davis and LeBron James and you could throw Vanderbilt on potentially on one of those mm-hmm. like power wings, right? Because Luca would have tried to have done the same thing if there was like against a Beasley or a D'Lo if they were his primary matchup. But guess mm-hmm. what? It was Vanderbilt that was on those those dudes. And then behind them, it was LeBron and Anthony Davis. And it's just like, oh, okay, look how this looks, right? And, and and so, like, is it a concern? It's it's maybe. And on some nights, I think the Lakers are going to need to be cognizant of, like, know thyself a little bit mm-hmm. and understand like where these weaknesses can show up and, and, and how they can show, show up. But one of the reasons why I think after the game, the Lakers were probably just like, yeah, we needed to be better at th-. like the players, right? Like we needed to do this better. We needed to come out with more like a serious tone. We needed to take them more seriously. We needed to play hard, harder. Like I get that. But after the fact, I don't think they're, there's this level of like introspection where they're just like, oh, where there's this crisis of confidence or anything like Not they know they know that what they do works and that they know when they've got their dudes, they go be a problem, so too. I, I get and, that. And but so I get that. But there's 12 games left. D where the 10 seed, a loss to the Rockets. You know what I mean? Like I get it. 100 percent. Like, ah. No. This game was super frustrating because it's one of one of the reasons why, too, it's frustrating is because this is one of the ones that we counted. We counted. Oh, yeah. You make this one as a win when you look at the. Yep. Yeah. It's just like like 30 games ago, you looked at these games and you're just like, ah, when we get to this stretch, look, they play Houston. Been talking about it for a minute. A couple of Mm -hmm. times. Right. And so but it's difficult. When you then are on the second out of a back to back, you don't have any bigs and this and like the one Houston doesn't have a skeleton key for how to beat the Lakers. But the you didn't need a skeleton key against this version of the <laughs> Lakers. Like all you needed was these dudes who like these exact dudes who were out mm-hmm. needed to be out. Right. And then on top of that, like. If you want to like dig into the game plan a little bit more, like I thought the Lakers oh, yeah. should have been fronting the post. Yeah, I thought yeah. they should have been like I thought Wenyon was going to start. And Wenyon had Wenyon was a plus six in the game in and he was in the positive plus plus minus for pretty much the entire game, even though the Lakers never led. Right. And so that tells you everything you need to know about like how important he was just as being the biggest player, the guy who's used to playing in the position that he was asked to play mm-hmm. and how important that was to to the team. I, I had messaged you guys with like three minutes. I think there was like six minutes left in the third quarter. And I said, can Wendell play the rest of the game? Right. I think he might need to yeah. if the Lakers are going to win and he couldn't play the rest of the game. And I think 
like no offense to Rui or Vando or any of those dudes, but they're not centers. They're not used to doing the things that you need to do on the back line of an NBA level defense consistently. And the Lakers got beat because they didn't have another big, big guy. And we can call that out. We can, we can dig into deeper. It's like, well, why? And this is that and the other, I don't have the answers to that. So it's just like, there's, there's no point in talking about it too, too much, but it's just like, they lost. They didn't have a center on the roster besides they had one center. So do you think we should be signing a big guy to a 10 day? My sense is yes, just because Bamba's out the rest of the year. He's not when he rolled his ankle. They're saying he's out at least a month. Well, that takes us through the end of the regular season. Mm-hmm. I look at it this way. So I think the Lakers play one or two more back to backs the rest of the rest of the one season. More. If Anthony Davis has not been cleared to play in back to backs, you need another big man just for that. Just for that. Yeah. Right. And then you need another big man. Like, imagine the scenario when AD got that cut on his face against Memphis. Yeah. And he had to be out of the game for an extended stretch. Imagine if during that same exact time, Wenyon picks up his fourth foul yep. and it's in the second quarter. Right. Then at that point, you if you have like you, you had said this to be offline, but you're just like, oh, man, it's it's like. You you have you didn't say this. I'm saying this for you. But there's a certain amount of PTSD around watching like lineups that simply don't have enough of one oh, thing. Yeah, it, right? it was and so like hard. These, Sorry. these survival groups. Yeah, that's what I call call them in the text. There's these survival groups, especially when you go from the New Orleans game and that first half in particular. Also, the second half of the yes. New Orleans game, I thought bled into the energy of this game. Anyway, the but seeing it go from beautiful basketball in that first half to, oh, I've missed this so much to that to being right back to that survival group where you have that fourth or fifth string type of guy, especially when Wenyan wasn't on the court manning a position. If you listen to the pod, you know, I'm a San Francisco 49er fan and they won 12 games in a row, including the playoffs. And if you don't know their story, the first two quarterbacks got hurt during the regular season. But our third stringer stepped up and he was the very last pick in the draft, a guy named Brock Purdy, and was awesome. And so it was sort of this like guy that comes out of nowhere, is great as a quarterback. Cinderella story. Bro, <laughs> on the first drive of the NFC Championship game, he gets his elbow broken. And so uh, and they don't know that it's broken quite yet at the time, but he can't grip the ball. And you can see him telling the coach. And so we have Josh Johnson, who's our now fourth string quarterback, who goes in for a couple of series and he, it's a huge drop off at that point. And then he gets a concussion and we end up having to go put Purdy back in the game. We end up running like some plays with like Christian McCaffrey, who's our running back at quarterback. And so we had this awesome team. I don't know if we beat the Eagles in that game or not, but that's not the point. It's that we had this awesome team, but because they were so deficient at this one aspect of the game, and there's this great footage of like the Niner players on the sidelines finding out that Purdy was out for the game and just like a whole year's worth of work down the drain, basically, you know, 12 game winning streak. Yes. They just knew they were yes. totally screwed. And so like that, it's not quite that same degree without having bigs uh, or without having uh, AD in a game like the Rockets. But Still, man, I, I'm with you on that idea that we need just a body just to keep the just to keep the glue together or just to, to glue it just together. like yeah. so. Well, that idea of like, OK, break in case of emergency. The Lakers broke the glass in case of emergency and there was a piece of paper behind there. They opened up the piece of paper and it said, surprise, there's nothing here. Yeah, for you. <laughs> right. Because yes. there were no more bigs. Yeah. It's just like 
it, like it wasn't it. It's so so it, it's 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 a tough loss to take. It's a tricky thing to navigate because like it's not like there's a bunch of centers that are on the market where you're just like, oh yeah, give me that guy. Right. Right. And honestly, I thought to myself yesterday, like, if and this is gonna sound so rude to Damian Jones, so he's about to catch some strays right here. But I was thinking to myself, if Damian Jones was actually available here, like, is he making a big difference within the context of like of this game? And I was like making the Larry David sort of like, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe not. Like, I'm not sure, <laughs> right? Is it so? So I get it. It's it's like your whole team, your whole team, your whole team is built around this idea of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Mm -hmm. And then at the trade deadline, you turn, and this is still so funny to me, you turn Russell Westbrook, and even like two or three weeks before the trade, trade deadline, ultimately you turn guards, like two guards, in Nunn and Russ into Rui Hachimura, Jared Vanderbilt, Russell, <laughs> D'Angelo Russell, and and well, boy, and Malik Beasley, like you get four rotation players out of two two dudes, and like three starters you, too. You add forwards, yeah. You had you had two forwards, you have two skill guards, right? And shooting, and you get all of this for like some seconds and one first first round pick, and you've remade your roster. And it's like we celebrate that, and it should be celebrated. Like that's a great thing that happened. But it's like that should never obscure the idea that like the team is built around LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Yep. Like those do all of those ideas are in support of of your two main main dudes. And I think we saw against Houston how it's just like, yeah, without those two main dudes, you you are no longer a good basketball team. Yep. Like you have all of this skill and none of the power, mm -hmm. right? None of the force that is going to complement that skill. Just like in the previous team, you had all of this power yep, and all of this exactly. force and you had none of the skill to back it up. And so you're sitting there just like, well, they're two and 10 or they're six games under 500 or they're five games under five, 500. Oh, they won three in a row. Oh, they lost two of three. Oh, they won two, two in a row. Oh, they lost two in a row. Oh, they're, they're, they're within three games of 500. Like, oh, nope. You lost two in a row again. You're five games on Durgan, and that's been the Lakers' season for so much of this time. And so, like, there are only 12, 12 games left. And so I want to refocus here because these last 12 games are super important. And I'm hopeful that AD can play in all 12 of them, although one of them's a back-to-back. -back, and so we'll see. Maybe he'll only play in, in 11. But I'm hoping he gets as much court time as as possible. I'm hoping that LeBron is able to make a return before the end of the regular season. Like, I hope, I hope, I hope. I sound like red from Shawshank Redemption here, right? <laughs> but it's just like, this is the idea here for the Lakers. We know that they can be a good team. They've, they have been since the trade deadline. And like, it makes me want to wash away the Houston loss a little bit as much as frustrating as as it was, because the team that they fielded was just missing a key ingredient. It's just like, look, the, the cake's not going to rise without 
the baking soda and baking powder is just not gonna happen. And so, and that's what that's what this game was a little bit. You were lacking a crucial ingredient. I, I think that's the right perspective, frustrating as it is, but time is running out. So we're gonna uh, end this one early. We'll be back tomorrow uh, to talk the big Dallas game coming up tomorrow. And so we'll preview that, talk a little uh, more Lakers. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. With a little talk to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.